Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. There were children shouting in the sanctuary, and the adults got angry. Now, I want to be very clear, that's not a depiction of what happened at St. Paul's over this last week. No, there was plenty of children shouting in the sanctuary, but no one was angry, just the opposite. But rather, as I heard those little voices in unison this week, I was reminded of an account from Jesus' life when he was in the temple. And as he's in the temple, children are, are shouting at him, Hosanna, that is, save us, son of David. And the adults, the religious leaders of the day, well, they get angry, indignant. And they say to Jesus with the full expectation that he should shut these little mouths do you hear what they are saying? And Jesus' reply, well, of course I hear it, but have you never read that out of the mouths of babes and infants, children, God has prepared praise? See, this week was a great week here at St. Paul's. Every single day this week, hundreds of kids, both here and at our South Campus, got to learn all about a monumentally great God. And each day we had a, a new focus. How that monumentally great God, well, he loves us no matter what. He's always with us. That he's in charge over everything. He's stronger than anything. And even that God is surprising. He works in the most unexpected ways. One of the greatest parts of this past week is that as we, we got to that focus each day, I would stop and I would point to the kids and I'd say, that this is all because he is in and I'd hear back all these responses of, awesome God. When I heard those little voices proclaiming to me, as much as they were to themselves and the leaders that were there, that incredible reality that our God is truly great, truly awesome, I was reminded of the psalm for today. Psalm 8, not just because it's one of my favorite psalms and not just because it's the appointed psalm for today, and not just because it's the psalm that Jesus quotes back at those adults who would get angry at children proclaiming him to be the son of David. But if you look to that responsive psalm from just a few minutes ago that we read together, you'll see it's a perfect psalm for a day like today where we focus on the festival of the Holy Trinity, where we celebrate the monumentally great nature of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. See, if you turn and look at Psalm 8, you'll see a relatively short psalm, one written by King David. Yes, the same King David who took down Goliath, the same King David who knew what it was like to be blessed immensely by God, and yet the same King David who knew what it was like to be tempted greatly by the world, even fall into that temptation. The David who knew great success and also tremendous failure. The same David who would write in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And yet when he saw something he really wanted, well, he arranged for a loyal soldier of his to be killed just so he could take his new widow as a wife. And yet it is that David who writes this psalm, that I would say is a perfect psalm, because like David's life, this psalm is full of paradoxes, seemingly impossible realities that operate at either end of a large spectrum. It begins by establishing God's majesty, that, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic, how royal, how grand, how unique is your name in all the earth. 
You have set your glory above the heavens. And yet, as David considers just how grand and majestic the name of the Lord our God is, the very next verse is, out of the mouths of babes and infants, out of the mouths of children, the littlest, most helpless, the weakest, you have established your strength. And not just established strength, but strength that can even still, that is, cease to be or defeat the enemy and the avenger. But then David turns this psalm onto himself. He says that when I consider the works of just your fingers, just your hands, how you have placed the stars in the heavens, and I look out and see all that you have done, I wonder, I wonder who is man that you are mindful of him? Who is a son of man, any human being, that you would care for him? If we were to stop there, it should be pretty obvious that the expected answer is, well, nothing. That compared to the grand scale and nature of that majestic Lord whose name is above the heavens, well, we should be but just a speck, something inconsequential, unimportant, something that doesn't even come close to God's mind. That it would be laughable almost for him to consider and care for us individually when you consider all that he has done. And yet, when we go back to Genesis, when we go all the way back to the beginning, we see that in all creation, we are created different. We are created in the image of God. We are fearfully and wonderfully made by him. Created to have a unique bond, a very special relationship with him. Where we can feel and think and trust unlike anything else in creation. Even believe unlike anyone else or anything else in creation. And as David acknowledges, who is man? Well, yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings given him a special task, that is dominion, care over all else that you have made, the beast of the field, the fish of the sea, the birds of the air. Who are we that God would notice us? We are those who are made in his image, those he desires to have a relationship with, those he listens to even when we're at our smallest, weakest, most helpless moments. See, for David, in the midst of Psalm 8, it wouldn't have been so hard to confess that God is a truly monumentally awesome God, an awe-causing God, a jaw-dropping God, a great God. And this week at VBS, we heard it time and time again that that is true for us as well. That if only we would be wise enough to remember that daily that awe-causing, that awesome, great God not only cares about us, but remembers us and thinks about us, how different might this world look? But of course, the problem is the great and awesome God who created all things, including us, well, we haven't treated our relationship with him so great. We haven't treated that special task so great. We haven't treated him as so great. And that's something that's not new to us. No, that also goes all the way back 
to the Garden of Eden. Where Adam and Eve were instructed, you've been given all of this, but you must not do one thing. You must not try to be like God. You must not eat of the tree with the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And we are reminded that we have messed this special relationship up, fractured it, broken it quite greatly, even daily in our lives. That though it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, even us today have to acknowledge in our sin that no one rightfully should be remembered for or cared for by God, not just because we are little in comparison to the grand nature of our awesome God, but because of how broken we are in that sin, just how severely we have screwed up that special relationship he designed for us to have with him. And yet he is a great God, one who takes those who mess that relationship up, who sin against him greatly and more than just remembers and cares for us, but endures great pain and suffering to restore that relationship with us. That it is precisely because we have messed it up so royally, precisely because we haven't had faith like a child, that he sends to us a child. A child born under one of those stars that his fingers, his handiwork placed in Bethlehem. We are reminded that he himself would become a little lower than the heavenly beings. Assume humanity, become a child. This grand, great God would become a child so small that his little fingers could wrap around his mother's finger. And that child would grow up, and those same fingers would, would heal, would cleanse, would even at times call out people that needed to hear it. And then eventually those same fingers that placed the stars in the heaven that created the universe and all that is in it would be outstretched, would be nailed to a cross. That the God who does all of that did it for us. Who are we that he would notice us? Well, it's not because we have been so great, is it? But rather, who are we that he notices us is because he is so great. And more than just notice us, love us. Paul writes to the Roman church that the love of God is this, that while we were still sinners, while we were broken and we have fractured that relationship, Christ died for us. That the great and awesome God we worship would die for us so that in the midst of our brokenness, we'd have restoration. In the midst of our heartache, there would still be hope. In the midst of even our grief, there would still be joy. And then we are reminded that our great and awesome God, three days after he was crowned as a king, crowned with thorns, that great and awesome God, those fingers that set the stars in heaven, that lay lifeless and limp, would have life once more. Also that we would know that even in our earthly death, there would be for us his life. 
You know, it's not hard to see how great God is when you have a week like VBS. Just listen to what the children tell you. What's so great about today? Well, we got goldfish. What's so great about today? Well, we got to get Pastor Wade soaking wet over and over and over. And yet, we are reminded of what makes God truly great. Is that he comes into this world as a child, lives as the perfect man we could never be, dies and rises again just so we would be crowned with his glory. For yes, it is out of the mouths of babes and infants, children, that he has established his strength. But it is not just those children that may come to VBS for a week, but for all the children, to those who received him and believed in his name, those he gave the right to be called children of God. And in that, each and every day, not just today and not just during VBS, we can remember that we have a truly great, a monumentally awesome God. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.